0: Let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healings by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but one and the same spirit works all things Distributing to each one individually as he wills. It's one of life's awkward moments. Life certainly has more than its fair share, but this is one of them. You've spent time, you've given thought, you've even spent money on acquiring what you thought was the perfect gift for someone else. In fact, you're excited about the moment where you'll be able to give this gift to this individual. Maybe a spouse, maybe another family member, maybe just a friend, maybe a special occasion, maybe not. Maybe you just wanted to show your appreciation. You're, you're excited as the, as the gift is wrapped and you're looking forward to that moment when their eyes light up and they, they, they take this expression of appreciation for what it is. The moment comes. you watch as they unwrap the box and, and the lid is removed, and then you see it in their eyes. It may just be a split second. It's that look that comes over their face. And perhaps they know it comes over their face and, and they try and recover. But for whatever reason, that, that moment where, where it changes from the anticipation of, of seeing a gift that they thought was going to be great and for whatever reason they didn't think it was so great. Rather than having this moment where your love and appreciation was expressed, it becomes this awkward Maybe silence or maybe the individual offers the, the ubiquitous, oh, great, I never would have thought of giving that gift to myself, right? That's kind of a sure sign this missed the mark. In fact, my guess is we've been on both ends of the equation, right? We've given a gift that was kind of a swing and a miss, and every person in this room has a closet closet a shelf, an attic. You've got something somewhere that houses the gifts that have been there since the moment you opened them. Right? right? Moment of honesty? Everybody's got that. Now some of you say, no I don't. I know why. Because you re-gifted them. Right? Okay, so, we've all, we've all given the gift. We've all received the gift. It is kind of an awkward moment, right? And in fact, in some cases it can even be Well, hurtful. Offensive. I've even known of some situations where that moment created significant dysfunction in a relationship. Because here an individual has gone out of their way to give a gift uh, as, as an expression of love and affection for the other person. And the other person, for whatever reason, just doesn't receive it as such. I think this is what's happened in Corinth. I I think, to use this analogy, I think God gave the church in Corinth gifts. He gave the brothers and sisters there gifts. And some of them opened up that box and thought, oh, great. While at the same time, looking across the room at some of those other folks, and looking at their shiny, flashy, uh, expensive, spectacular gifts looking over there at those folks thinking no oh, i like their gift better i'd rather have what they have i mean look at them everybody looks at them how can you not look at somebody if they're speaking in tongues how can you not look at somebody if they're performing Mir- mir- miraculous healings? How, how, how can you not take notice of folks who seem to be able to speak with, with eloquence and power and authority and everybody wants to hear them, everybody wants to speak to them? At Folks in Corinth who thought, my little gift just doesn't look like much. This is creating significant dysfunction in this church. I mean, if you could say anything about Corinth, you could say it's a it's a dysfunctional, disunified, if that's a word, church. Every, every major section of the book reveals this lack of unity. That This is kind of the underlying current. This is the stream, that, the, the rails on which the book of 1 Corinthians kind of rides. That at every point, they seem to fuss about stuff. And you can tell this topic is particularly uh, troublesome. Paul gives three chapters. Paul gives more words to the topic of spiritual gifts than he does to any other topic in the book of 1 Corinthians. Guy having an illicit relationship with his stepmother? Not as much space. Divorce and remarriage? Not as much space. The resurrection? Not as much space. Three entire chapters on this problem in the church. That they, they seem to have this as, as kind of a, it's almost as if Paul recognizes this is really fundamental here. That this could even, you know, if we could fix this mess, then, then maybe some of these others, almost like a trickle-down kind of situation, maybe then some of these other, other messes could get ironed out. And so what was going on in Corinth is that the folks that had the really splashy gifts were getting a lot of attention and, and they liked it In fact, there was even this this undercurrent that had developed that suggested, you know, the people with the really flashy gifts, the really important gifts, right? These are super spiritual people. Why else would God give them these gifts? They must be more spiritual than everybody else. And they liked that idea. And then you had those who didn't have those gifts who thought, all right, if I want to be super spiritual, if I want to be somebody, I'm going to leave this box on the regifting shelf and I'm going to go see if I can get that gift. So not only did you have folks in Corinth who were, who were frustrated with what God had given to them, they were then trying to create their own. So Paul gives three chapters to iron all this out. He gives three chapters to try and correct their dysfunctional, uh, uh, prideful, childish view of the gifts. Now, we jumped into this, these three chapters last week. We did an overview. We kind of took a look at the forest, so to speak, All right, and and Paul does a thorough job. He's going to give us three chapters where really we're going to be able to explore kind of every angle here, meaning we we will talk about in more detail tongues, interpretation of tongues, some of these miraculous gifts, Uh, and as I've said, I'm a cessationist, which means I think those gifts were unique for the first century, and so... Uh, we'll, we'll look at all that when, when we get to it. But for now, a- after taking our overview last week, we turn to verses 4 through 11. And what Paul does here for us is something that's, that's exactly what Paul does. Before he gives us the ins and outs, the, the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of the spiritual gifts, he gives us the theology of it. He lays out for us what is the basic nature. How should we understand these gifts? Where do they come from? Why do we have them? Uh, is it something we can pursue, or is it something that's done to us? So Paul kind of begins here by correcting the most fundamental misunderstandings. So tonight, as we begin these verses, we're going to take a look uh, at what is the basic nature. What? How do we understand the role, the function of the spiritual gifts uh, in terms of their nature? Four words that come up in verses four through eleven uh, that help us unpack What Paul is saying here about the gifts. And so the first word is the word diversity. Diversity. Pastor, where do you get that word from? Verse 4. There are diversities of gifts. All right? Brilliant, right? Diversities of gifts. There are diversities of gifts. So notice verses 4 through 6. Diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. So it's interesting, after Paul, if you, if you remember the first three verses, Paul kind of whets the appetite, so to speak, for spiritual gifts by making it clear that the work of the Spirit is fundamentally about doing one thing, and that's pointing us to Christ. Christ, His gospel, and all of His glory. All right. So the work of the Spirit is doing in some way or another, that one thing. I even made the comment, I said this last week, and then I said it back before Christmas when we actually looked at verses 1-3, through if you find somebody who likes to talk a lot about themselves and the Holy Spirit, then you can bet that they don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Scripture makes it plain. The Spirit is given to us. His role and function. Doesn't mean He's less divine. He's fully divine. But His role and function is to promote all things Christ. But Paul doesn't want to be misunderstood here. This doesn't mean that that then the Holy Spirit is monolithic. It doesn't mean that the work of the Holy Spirit is is monotonous. he, He wants to make sure we appreciate that, that there's not just a few gifts that you should desire. That there's not just a few gifts that are worth noting. He, so he comes right out and he says, there's a diversity of gifts. Now, I, I, this is one of the times where... Um, I don't know why the New King James has done what it has done in translating this. How many of you have a New King James? Alright. So if you notice what it says there... And if you don't, just stick with me. So verse 4 says there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Verse 5, differences of ministries. Then verse 6, there are diversities of activities. I don't know why the New King James has decided in verse 5 to to use the word differences. Because every other major translation uses the same word in verses 4, 5, and 6. And do you know why they do that? Because it's the same word, all right? Because it's the exact same word. Um, it's really, you don't, you don't need to have a lot of deep knowledge of Greek to figure this one out. It is the exact same word. So let, let me show you the New American Standard. Who here has the New American Standard? Okay. Um, so we're, we're gonna, I'm going to show it up here on the screen. It may have been, is it on your notes? It's on your notes. There you go. All right. So if you reject my, the gift of my notes I give you every week? Alright, there you go. You can look at it, look at it there. So no, notice how the New American Standard does this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of, of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So I just bring that out as a way to say, you know, Paul is clearly structured verses 4, 5, and 6. I mean, you can tell... The, the, these almost have a, have a poetic feel to them. He, he's done this very intentionally. The, the word variety, some translations use diversity, some translations might use the word like differences. And, and it's all, it, those are all synonymous really with what Paul's trying to say here. He, he's making clear to the folks in Corinth, look, there's not just this handful of, of really spectacular gifts uh, that, that should get all the credit. There's variety, there are are differences, there is a diversity of giftedness in the body of Christ. And and when he says diversity, I think he means just that. That that really you can't can't necessarily nail down uh, all of the ways in which there may be an expression of gifts in the church. There's, There's just a vast array. People have different gifts. And so there shouldn't be this sense that, well, you know, my my gift is somehow less significant than others. Those are the important ones. We should want those. In fact, you notice how he even expresses this diversity in verses 4, 5, and 6 by after he uses the same word, right, that there are varieties of gifts, then you'll notice how he changes the word gift in verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries, and then verse 6, and there are varieties of? Effects. So not only are there all kinds of gifts. All kinds of gifts. It's not all prophecy, healing, and speaking in tongues. There's all kinds of gifts, and there's all kinds of ministries in which they can be exercised. And then there are all kinds of ways these can then be effective. In other words, this, this is, though it's, it's all about Christ and, and there is unity here, which will be the next point uh, that we will, we'll get to at some point. Though there is unity here, he, he wants to make sure they appreciate I mean, the, the diversity here is deep. It's, there's, there's a breadth of diversity. Not only in the gifts, but in the way they operate uh, and how somebody may use them, the degree to which somebody may use them. Uh, there is diversity at, at kind of every level here. So again, I, I think Paul's really wanting to nail down the fact. Their their view of gifts are dysfunctional because they don't appreciate that that what God has done as as a gift of grace to His church uh, has has ensured the church, every individual member is significant because every individual, uh, even if individuals have the same gift, it's not going to be exercised in the same way. So if a church has 20 teachers. God needs 20 teachers in the church. That's why He's done that. And there's going to be differences among all 20. If God has 100 people with the gift of service, that doesn't mean 100 people with exactly the same gift of service. Really, you could think of it this way, and though we'll get to the idea of unity next week, I think what we need to appreciate, yes, there's unity in the church, but there's not uniformity. So there's diversity because there's not uniformity. You might say, all right, preacher, you're playing with words here. I don't understand what you What do you mean? Unity versus uniformity. Uniformity would be everything being exactly the same. And here's how I'm going to illustrate it. You ready for this? This is one thing a preaching professor said you should be careful about. Don't use athletic or sports analogies too much. Well, guess what I'm about to use? Sports analogy. He's not here. He's not the boss of me. All right, so hopefully, though, this will be identifiable regardless, though he has shown up before, all right? But he's not here tonight. So, um, you can't help it, though, if, if if you're aware of anything going on in the culture. There's some football games of significance, right? In fact, there's a big one coming up. It's called the Super Bowl. Everybody ever heard of the Super Bowl? Anybody never heard of a Super Bowl? I mean, it's almost like another holiday in our country, right? Uh, the Super Bowl is a big deal, and even folks who don't like it, uh, at least they might even like the commercials, right? In other words, it's kind of an event. Now, we also know that on a football team, you have a quarterback, Right? Now, I don't know if you know this part or not, but on offense, there are 11 players. Are there 11 quarterbacks? Can you imagine what a team would be like if it had 11 quarterbacks? That would be uniformity, right? In other words, if a coach came in and said, I demand, not unity, I demand uniformity. But instead, he didn't want all quarterbacks, but he wanted all uh, nose guards, all right? you're going to have a lot of big dudes out there, okay? You're going to have 11 really big guys, and they're probably not going to win very many games. No, every person needs to play their part, and every part is significant. Now, is a quarterback going to get a little extra attention? Yes. Yes. Of course he will. But are there times when a quarterback does next to nothing? Yeah. Like when he hands it off to a guy and lets him get hit by all the other 11 guys on the other side, right? That happens. I do that every time. All right, so there there is a sense in which Paul is making the the clear point that when it comes to the work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is all about Christ. But that doesn't mean that there's this kind of monotonous uniformity in the church. There's a glorious diversity, there's, there's a lot of different. ways in which we are gifted, and then different ways in which we might use the gift, and then different ways in which that might have an impact on people. Yes, it's the same God, same Lord, and and, and it's all about Christ, it's all about His gospel, but this, this is how God has decided to gift His church. By the way, this should be good news to you, this should be good news to the folks in Corinth. Because based on everything we've read in verses 4 through 6, guess what you don't have to do? You don't have to make up your gift. You don't have to create your gift. You're not responsible for buying books on your gift. Not that you don't want to try and get better at what it may be, but you, you're not drumming this thing up. And then on the other side, you know the other part of the good news of this? You're not responsible for its impact on others. You don't determine what kind of effect it has on people. You're not responsible for the exercise of your gift being successful or not. That's not your responsibility. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Look at verse 6. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works in them all. Let me do another little bit of Greek here for you. The word activity and the word work are the same root word in Greek. In other words, the way you could say verse 6 and there are diversities of works, but it is the same God who works all in all. So, so in other words, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a variety of effect. The impact of the exercise of a gift uh, can, can be expressed in all kinds of ways. But God's responsible for it. So I don't create my gift on the front end. I'm also not responsible for the way it's going to impact others. You know what my responsibility is? Obedience. Faithfulness. Service. Do it. Right? That's it. Do it. Engage with the gift. Variety, diversity, there's a lot of gifts. And they aren't all going to be exercised in the same way. Again, you know, you could illustrate it even with a particular kind of gift. Take the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching, of course, we know is an important gift in the life of a church. And my guess is if I say gift of teaching that naturally people are inclined, in any given church, they're going to think about the pastor. Now, should your pastor have the gift of teaching? Yes. All right? Okay? Yes. Uh, he is required by the Bible to be apt to teach. All right? The elder is to, elders should be apt, able to teach. Okay? Okay. So yes, there should be this ability to be able to teach the Bible. But is the pastor the only one who teaches? And if you have a teaching gift, does that mean you have to do this? Does that mean on Sunday you've got to preach? In fact, is it possible that there are people with the gift of teaching who would be horrified to stand in front of five or more people? Sure. In fact, I would suggest there could be some fantastic teachers who do their thing one-on-one, one-on-one. Now, we may call them counselors, but I, 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 they, I would imagine there are some very gifted teachers that they're not going to stand in a pulpit, they're not going to put on a mic, all right, they're not going to do um, illustrations, they're not going to do hand gestures, they're not going to get snarky. Alright, no, you're stuck with that Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Alright, but then there's other ways in which people can teach. And a church then needs all of that. So there's a, vari- there's a variety even in the gift of teaching. And then there's a variety of settings in which the gift of teaching can be done. From, a, from something like the pulpit on Sunday morning to a Sunday school class to, a, to another type of Bible study class with 10, 12, or 15... What about the folks who really feel like their gift is not just teaching, but they really connect with kids, teenagers? What about those who like to go to nursing homes or visit shut-ins? I think this is what he's getting at here. We shouldn't get so locked in to particular gifts and their particular expressions, those that tend to get a lot of attention. In fact, let me suggest this. The church, the church, and when I say the church, I mean for the last 2,000 years. The church owes way more to the people you've never heard of than the, to the people that you have. The church owes way more to people you've never heard of than the people you have. Oh, I know, I know big historic names get all the glory, right? Luther, Calvin. Spurgeon, MacArthur, Gleason, right? I know these big names. I know these big names in church history get all the glory, right? But for for all the Luther's, there are for all the Calvin's, there are thousands upon thousands of people. Even in the Reformation, that made the Reformation possible, you don't know their names. We'll never know their names. I think Paul's words here are really important as we put them in this kind of a context. This is why this is why you know Paul's words are an, are an implied exhortation, uh, chastisement against the church. They they need to appreciate uh, that that how these gifts work are are a unique work of God and God God uses them and works them in a variety of ways. So there's a couple other points there. I think I have them on your notes. I don't think there's any blanks to fill in, but I I do want to make just a couple of notes here. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish here with this, about gifts. Uh, one, I just would point this out because I think this is another interesting little feature of Greek. The word gift uh, is the word charismata or charismaton. Now that sounds like charismatic, right? And in fact, that is where the label of charismatics comes from uh, and, and their particular views of the gifts. But if if you hear the word, say, charismata, the root word for that is the Greek word charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. That is the Greek word for grace. For grace. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, which is one of the other chapters that talks about spiritual gifts, the, the, the section on the gifts actually begins by saying, and grace has been given to each one of you. And the use of grace there is not like grace from chapter 2. He's not talking about the grace of salvation. He's using grace like this. So the word there in verse 4 could really say there are diversities of graces. Why why bring that up? Because the gifts that we've been given are given to us as a result of God's grace. It's an act of God's grace. Now that also means it's supernatural. Supernatural. In other words, that means there's a difference between my gifts and my abilities and skills that as a result of becoming a believer in Christ through the indwelling work of the Spirit, I am then gifted by God for service. So, this, this word grace, I think, is an important way to think about the gifts. God gives them to us. I can't go search out one. I suppose you could pray for a gift if you wanted to. I don't know. I hear people do that. I would probably just pray more for an understanding of the gift or gifts. And my guess is for everybody there's gifts. Because again, there's diversity here. There's variety here. That that God's given you a number of graces that enable you to do the work that He expects you to do for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. One other point there that I've made and that is when it comes to spiritual gifts, and, and I take this directly from a passage like this, you know, there, there are, I guess, four places where gifts are, where there are lists of gifts. Ephesians 4, uh, 1 Peter, Romans 12, and then here in First Corinthians 12, these are not exhaustive. I don't, think the gifts are an ex- I don't think we have an exhaustive list in the New Testament. In other words, I don't think we take all these passages of gifts and we put them all on a list and we say, yep, this is it, this is the top 25. I think these are general categories that, that help us understand the ways in which God has equipped His church to, to be able to accomplish His mission. So, so again, there's variety, there's diversity, and these gifts are really designed, I think, what, what we have listed here uh, are designed to demonstrate just general categories, resources God's given so the church can fulfill its mission. Uh, alright, so next week we'll, we'll keep going, alright? We'll keep going. In fact, next week we will then jump into verses 7 through 11. We'll, uh, we'll try and walk through, just with simple definitions, though they may already be there on your, on your outline, uh, of each of these gifts that are listed here. Um, We'll get in some, by the way. We'll go ahead and get into it some on what does it mean when he says the gift of tongues and what does it mean when it says the, the gift of interpreting tongues. And I'll go ahead and give you a little tease. I think this is an example of how some translations have succumbed to the almighty dollar for the sake of translating the word tongue. That's right, conspiracy theory will be coming your way, all right? Next week, you didn't know they'd be in the Bible, right? Bible conspiracy theories. I can see it on the History Channel already. Okay, so next week you'll come and, uh, and see what, what I think, I don't know, uh, it's something that makes me uncomfortable about, about why, uh, why the, the most translations use the word tongues, all right? Okay, let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for the opportunity we've had tonight to be together, to be in, uh, in prayer together, to be in your word. We are grateful for the way that you've gifted us. And God, I pray that you would make us mindful uh, of how you have gifted us and that we would be mindful of how we are exercising that gift. We thank you, God, that you give it, uh, that you empower it, that you ensure it accomplishes what you want it to accomplish. And so I pray, God, we would merely be faithful to exercising it, to engaging it as you would lead and guide us. I thank you for these who are here tonight. God, I do pray your your blessings on them. I pray they would know your hand upon them, leading and guiding, give wisdom and and grace for the days to come. And I pray, God, that we would uh, use the days that you give to us to live for your glory and give us opportunity to share with a dark and dying world, the hope and light of Jesus Christ. Gather us back together again. We might worship you in spirit and in truth. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.